Section 6 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1893-1896. through 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Grover, Cleveland, December 3rd, 1894. Part 3. The report of the Secretary of the Interior exhibits the situation of the numerous and interesting branches of the public service connected with his department. I commend this report and the valuable recommendations of the Secretary to the careful attention of the Congress. The public land disposed of during the year amounted to 10,406,100.77 acres, including 28,876.05 acres of Indian lands. It is estimated that the public domain still remaining amounts to a little more than 600 million acres, including, however, about 360 million acres in Alaska, as well as military reservations and railroad and, and other selections of lands yet unadjudicated. The total cash receipts from sale of lands amounted to $2,674,285.79, including $91,981.03 received for Indian lands. 35,000 patents were issued for agricultural lands, and 3,100 patents were issued to Indians on allotments of their holdings in severality. The land so allocated being inalienable by the Indian allottees for a period of 25 years after patent. There were certified and patented on account of railroad and wagon road grants during the year 865,556.45 acres of land, and at the close of the year, 29 million acres were embraced in the lists of selections made by railroad and wagon road companies and awaited settlement. These selections of swamp lands, and that taken as indemnity, therefore, since the passage of the Act providing for the same in 1849, amount to nearly or quite 80,500,000 acres, of which 58 million have been patented to states. About 138,000 acres were patented during the last year. Nearly 820,000 acres of school and education grants were approved during the year and at its close, 1,250,363.81 acres remain unadjusted. It appears that the appropriation for the current year on account of special service for the protection of the public lands and the timber thereon is much less than those for previous years, and inadequate for an efficient performance of the work. A larger sum of money than has been appropriate during a number of years past on this account has been returned to the government as a result of the labors of those employed in the particular service mentioned, and I hope it will not be crippled by insufficient appropriation. I fully endorse the recommendation of the Secretary that adequate protection be provided for our forest reserves and that a comprehensive forestry system be inaugurated. Such keepers and superintendents as are necessary to protect the forests already reserved should be provided. I am of the opinion that there should be an abandonment of the policy sanctioned by present laws under which the government, for a very small consideration, is rapidly losing title to immense tracts of land 
covered with timber which should be properly reserved as permanent sources of timber supply the suggestion that a change be made in the manner of securing surveys of the public lands is especially worthy of consideration i am satisfied that these surveys should be made by a corps of competent surveyors under the immediate control and direction of the commissioner of the general land office an exceedingly important recommendation of the secretary relates to the manner in which contests in litigated cases growing out of efforts to obtain government land are determined the entire testimony upon which these controversies depend in all their stages is taken before the local registers and receivers and yet these officers have no power to subpoena witnesses or to enforce their attendance to testify these cases numbering three or four thousand annually are sent by the local officers to the commissioner of the general land office for his action the exigencies of his other duties oblige him to act upon the decisions of the registers and receivers without an opportunity of thorough personal examination nearly two thousand of these cases are appealed annually from the commissioner to the secretary of the interior burdened with other important administrative duties his determination of these appeals must be almost perfunctory and based upon the examination of others though this determination of the secretary operates as a final adjudication upon rights of very great importance i concur in the opinion that the commissioner of the general land office should be relieved from the duty of deciding litigated land cases that a nonpartisan court should be created to pass on such cases and that the decisions of this court should be final at least so far as the decisions of the department are now final the proposed court might be given authority to certify questions of law in matters of especial importance to the supreme court of the united states or the court of appeals for the district of columbia for decision the creation of such a tribunal would expedite the disposal of cases and ensure decisions of a more satisfactory character the registers and receivers who originally hear and decide these disputes should be invested with authority to compel witnesses to attend and testify before them though the condition of the indians shows a steady and healthy progress their situation is not satisfactory at all points some of them to whom allotments of land have been made are found to be unable or disinclined to follow agricultural pursuits or to otherwise beneficially manage their land this is especially true of the cheyennes and arapahoes who as it appears by reports of their agent have in many instances never been located upon their allotments and in some cases do not even know where their allotments are their condition has deteriorated they are not self-supporting and they live in camps and spend their time in idleness i have always believed that allotments of reservation lands to indians in severality should be made sparingly or at least slowly and with the utmost caution in these days when white agriculturalists and stock raisers of experience and intelligence find their lot a hard one we ought not to expect indians unless far advanced in civilization and habits of industry to support themselves on the small tracts of land usually allotted to them if the self-supporting scheme by allotment fails the wretched pauperism of the allottees which results is worse than their original condition of regulated dependence it is evident that the evil consequences of ill-advised allotment are intensified 
in cases where the false step cannot be retraced on account of the purchase by the government of reservation lands remaining after allotments are made and the disposition of such remaining lands to settlers or purchasers from the government i am convinced that the proper solution of the indian problem and the success of every step taken in that direction depend to a very large extent upon the intelligence and honesty of the reservation agents and the interest they have in their work an agent fitted for his place can do much toward preparing the indians under his charge for citizenship and allotment of their lands and his advice as to any matter concerning their welfare will not mislead an unfit agent will make no effort to advance the indians on his reservation toward civilization or preparation for allotment of lands in severality and his opinions as to their condition in this and other regards is heedless and valueless the indications are that the detail of army officers as indian agents will result in improved management on the reservations whenever allotments are made and any indian on the reservation has previously settled upon a lot and cultivated it or shown a disposition to improve it in any way such lot should certainly be allotted to him and this should be made plainly obligatory by statute in the light of experience in considering the uncertainty of the indian situation and its exigencies in the future i am not only disposed to be very cautious in making allotments but i incline to agree with the secretary of the interior in the opinion that when allotments are made the balance of reservation lands remaining after allotment instead of being bought by the government from the indians and opened for settlement with such scandals and unfair practices as seem unavoidable should remain for a time at least as common land or be sold by the government on behalf of the indians in an orderly way and at fixed prices to be determined by its location and desirability and that the proceeds less expenses should be held in trust for the benefit of the indian proprietors the intelligent indian school management of the past year has been followed by gratifying results efforts have been made to advance the work in a sound and practical manner five institutes of indian teachers have been held during the year and have proved very beneficial through the views exchanged and methods discussed particularly applicable to indian education efforts are being made in the direction of a gradual reduction of the number of indian contract schools so that in a comparatively short time they may give way altogether to government schools and it is hoped that the change may be so gradual as to be perfected without too great expense to the government or undue disregard of investments made by those who have established and who are maintaining such contract schools the appropriation for the current year ending june thirtieth eighteen ninety five applicable to the ordinary expenses of the indian service amounts to six million seven hundred and thirty three thousand three dollars and eighteen cents being less by six hundred and sixty three thousand two hundred and forty dollars and sixty four cents than the sum appropriated on the same account for the previous year at the close of the last fiscal year on the thirtieth day of june eighteen ninety four there were nine hundred and sixty nine thousand five hundred and forty four persons on our pension rolls being a net increase of three thousand five hundred and thirty two over the number reported at the end of the previous year these pensioners may be classified as follows soldiers and sailors survivors of all wars 
753,968, widows and relatives of deceased soldiers, 215,162, army nurses in the War of Rebellion, 414. Of these pensioners, 32,039 are surviving soldiers of Indian and other wars prior to the late Civil War, and the widows or relatives of such soldiers. The remainder, numbering 937,505, are receiving pensions on account of the rebellion, and of these, 469,344 are on the rolls under the authority of the Act of June 27, 1890, sometimes called the Dependent Pension Law. The total amount expended for pensions during the year was 139 million eight hundred and four thousand four hundred and sixty one dollars and five cents leaving an unexpended balance from the sum appropriated of twenty five million two hundred and five thousand seven hundred and twelve dollars and sixty five cents the sum necessary to meet pension expenditures for the year ending june thirtieth eighteen ninety six is estimated at one hundred and forty million dollars the Commission of Pensions is of the opinion that the year 1895, being the 30th after the close of the War of Rebellion, must, according to all sensible human calculation, see the highest limit of the pension roll, and that after that year it must begin to decline. The claims pending in the Bureau have decreased more than 90,000 during the year. A large portion of the new claims filed are for increase of pension by those now on the rolls. The number of certificates issued was 80,213. The names dropped from the rolls for all causes during the year numbered 37,951. Among our pensioners are nine widows and three daughters of soldiers of the Revolution and 45 survivors of the War of 1812. The barefaced and extensive pension frauds exposed under the direction of the courageous and generous veteran soldier now at the head of the bureau leave no room for the claim that no purgation of our pension rolls was needed or that continued vigilance and prompt action are not necessary to the same end the accusation that an effort to detect pension frauds is evidence of unfriendliness toward our worthy veterans and a denial of their claims to the generosity of the government suggests an unfortunate indifference to the commission of any offense which has for its motive the securing of a pension and indicates a willingness to be blind to the existence of mean and treacherous crimes which play upon demagogic fears and make sport of the patriotic impulse of a grateful people the completion of the eleventh census is now in charge of the commissioner of labor the total disbursements on account of the work for the fiscal year ending june thirtieth eighteen ninety four amounted to ten million three hundred and sixty five thousand six hundred and seventy six dollars and eighty one cents at the close of the year the number of persons employed in the census office was six hundred and seventy nine at present there are about four hundred the whole number of volumes necessary to comprehend the eleventh census will be twenty five and they will contain twenty two thousand two hundred and seventy printed pages the assurance is confidently made that before the close of the present calendar year the material still incomplete will be practically in hand and the census can certainly be closed by the fourth of march eighteen ninety five 
after that the revision and proofreading necessary to bring out the volumes will still be required the text of the census volumes has been limited as far as possible to the analysis of the statistics presented this method which is in accordance with law has caused more or less friction and in some instances individual disappointment for when the commissioner of labor took charge of the work he found much matter on hand which according to this rule he was compelled to discard the census is being prepared according to the theory that it is designed to collect facts and certify them to the public not to elaborate arguments or present personal views the secretary of agriculture in his report reviews the operations of his department for the last fiscal year and makes recommendations for the further extension of its usefulness he reports a saving in expenditures during the year of six hundred thousand dollars which is covered back into the treasury this sum is twenty three per cent of the entire appropriation a special study has been made of the demand for american farm products in all foreign markets especially great britain that country received from the united states during the nine months ending september thirtieth eighteen ninety four three hundred and five thousand nine hundred and ten live beef cattle valued at twenty six million five hundred thousand dollars as against one hundred and eighty two thousand six hundred and eleven cattle valued at sixteen million six hundred and thirty four thousand dollars during the same period for eighteen ninety three during the first six months of eighteen ninety four the united kingdom took also one hundred and twelve million pounds of dressed beef from the united states valued at nearly ten million dollars the report shows that during the nine months immediately preceding september thirtieth eighteen ninety four the united states exported to great britain two hundred and twenty two million six hundred and seventy six pounds of pork of apples one million nine hundred thousand bushels valued at two million five hundred thousand dollars and of horses two thousand eight hundred and eleven at an average value of one hundred and thirty nine dollars per head there was a falling off in american wheat exports of thirteen million five hundred thousand bushels and the secretary is inclined to believe that wheat may not in the future be the staple export cereal product of our country but that corn will continue to advance in importance as an export on account of the new uses to which it is constantly being appropriated the exports of agricultural products from the united states for the fiscal year ending june thirtieth eighteen ninety four amounted to six hundred and twenty eight million three hundred and sixty three thousand thirty eight dollars being seventy two point twenty eight per cent of american exports of every description and the united kingdom of great britain took more than fifty four per cent of all farm products finding foreign markets the department of agriculture has undertaken during the year two new and important lines of research the first relates to grasses and forage plants with the purpose of instructing and familiarizing the people as to the distinctive grasses of the united states and teaching them how to introduce valuable foreign forage plants which may be adapted to this country the second relates to agricultural soils and crop production involving the analyses of samples of soil from all sections of the american union to demonstrate their adaptability to particular plants and crops 
mechanical analyses of soils may be of such inestimable utility that it is foremost in the new lines of agricultural research and the secretary therefore recommends that a division having it in charge be permanently established in the department the amount appropriated for the weather bureau was nine hundred and fifty one thousand one hundred dollars of that sum one hundred and thirty eight thousand five hundred dollars or fourteen per cent has been saved and is returned to the treasury as illustrating the usefulness of this service it may be here stated that the warnings which were very generally given of two tropical storms occurring in september and october of the present year resulted in detaining safely in port two thousand three hundred and five vessels valued at thirty six million one hundred and eighty three thousand nine hundred and thirteen dollars laden with cargoes of probably still greater value what is much more important and gratifying many human lives on these ships were also undoubtedly saved the appropriation to the bureau of animal industry was eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the expenditures for the year were only four hundred ninety five thousand four hundred twenty nine dollars and twenty four cents thus leaving unexpended three hundred and fifty four thousand five hundred and seventy dollars and seventy six cents the inspection of beef animals for export and interstate trade has been continued and twelve million nine hundred and forty four thousand fifty six head were inspected during the year at a cost of one and three fourths cents per head against four and three fourths cents for eighteen ninety three the amount of pork microscopically examined was thirty five million four hundred and thirty seven thousand nine hundred and thirty seven pounds against twenty million six hundred and seventy seven thousand four hundred and ten pounds in the preceding year the cost of this inspection has been diminished from eight and three-fourths of a cent per head in eighteen ninety three to six and a half cents in eighteen ninety four the expense of inspecting the pork sold in eighteen ninety four to germany and france by the united states was eighty eight thousand nine hundred and twenty two dollars and ten cents the quantity inspected was greater by fifteen million pounds than during the preceding year when the cost of such inspection was a hundred and seventy two thousand three hundred and sixty seven dollars and eight cents the secretary of agriculture recommends that the law providing for the microscopic inspection of export and interstate meat be so amended as to compel owners of the meat inspected to pay the cost of such inspection and i call attention to the arguments presented in his report in support of this recommendation the live beef cattle exported and tagged during the year numbered three hundred and fifty three thousand five hundred and thirty five this is an increase of sixty nine thousand five hundred and thirty three head over the previous year the sanitary inspection of cattle shipped to europe has cost an average of ten and three-fourths cents for each animal and the cost of inspecting southern cattle and the disinfection of cars and stockyards averages two point seven cents per animal the scientific inquiries of the bureau of animal industry have progressed steadily during the year much tuberculin and malian have been furnished to state authorities for use in the agricultural colleges and experiment stations for the treatment of tuberculosis and glanders 
Quite recently, this department has published the results of its investigations of bovine tuberculosis, and its researches will be vigorously continued. Certain herds in the District of Columbia will be thoroughly inspected and will probably supply adequate scope for the department to intelligently prosecute its scientific work and furnish sufficient material for purposes of illustration, description, and definition. The sterilization of milk suspected of containing the bacilli of tuberculosis has been during the year very thoroughly explained in the leaflet by Dr. D. E. Solomon, the chief of the Bureau, and given general circulation throughout the country. The Office of Experiment Stations, which is a part of the United States Department of Agriculture, has during the past year engaged itself almost wholly in preparing for publication works based upon the reports of agricultural experiment stations and other institutions for agricultural inquiry in the United States and foreign countries. The Secretary, in his report for 1893, called attention to the fact that the appropriations made for the support of the experiment stations throughout the Union were the only monies taken out of the National Treasury by act of Congress, for which no accounting to federal authorities was required. Responding to this suggestion, the 53rd Congress, in making the appropriation for the Department for the present fiscal year, provided that the Secretary of Agriculture shall prescribe the form of annual financial statement required by Section 3 of said Act of March 2, 1887, shall ascertain whether the expenditures under the appropriation hereby made are in accordance with the provisions of said Act, and shall make report thereon to Congress. In obedience to this law, the Department of Agriculture immediately sent out blank forms of expense accounts to each station, and proposes in addition to make, through trusted experts, systematic examination of the several stations during each year for the purpose of acquiring by personal investigation the detailed information necessary to enable the Secretary of Agriculture to make, as the statute provides, a satisfactory report to Congress. The boards of management of the several stations, with great alacrity and cordiality, have approved the amendment to the law providing the supervision of their expenditures, anticipating that it will increase the efficiency of the stations and protect their directors and managers from loose charges concerning their use of public funds, besides bringing the Department of Agriculture into closer and more confidential relations with the experimental stations, and through their joint service, largely increasing their usefulness to the agriculture of the country. Acting upon a recommendation contained in the report of 1893, Congress appropriated $10,000 to enable the Secretary of Agriculture to investigate and report upon the nutritive value of the various articles and commodities used for human food, with special suggestions of full, wholesome, and edible rations less wasteful and more economical than those in common use. Under this appropriation, the Department has prepared and now has nearly ready for distribution an elementary discussion of the nutritive value and pecuniary economy of food when we consider that fully one-half of all the money earned by the wage-earners of the civilized world is expended by them for food, the importance and utility of such an investigation is apparent. The department expended in the fiscal year 
$2,354,809.56, and out of that sum the total amount expended in scientific research was 45.6%. But in the year ending June 30th, 1894, out of a total expenditure of $1,948,988.38, the department applied 51.8% of that sum to scientific work and investigation. It is therefore very plainly observable that the economies which have been practiced in the administration of the department have not been at the expense of scientific research. The recommendation contained in the report of the Secretary for 1893 that the vicious system of promiscuous free distribution of its departmental documents be abandoned is again urged. These publications may well be furnished without cost to public libraries, educational institutions, and the officers and libraries of states and of the federal government, but from all individuals applying for them a price covering the cost of the document asked for should be required thus the publications and documents would be secured by those who really desire them for proper purposes half a million of copies of the report of the secretary of agriculture are printed for distribution at an annual cost of about three hundred thousand dollars large numbers of them are cumbering storerooms at the capitol and the shelves of second-hand bookstores throughout the country all this labor and waste might be avoided if the recommendations of the secretary were adopted the secretary also again recommends the gratuitous distribution of seeds cease and that no money be appropriated for that purpose except to experiment stations he reiterates the reasons given in his report for eighteen ninety three for discontinuing this unjustifiable gratuity and i fully concur in the conclusions which he has reached the best service of the statistician of the department of agriculture is the ascertainment by diligence and care of the actual and real conditions favorable or unfavorable of the farmers and farms of the country and to seek the causes which produce these conditions to the end that the facts ascertained may guide their intelligent treatment a further important utility in agricultural statistics is found in their elucidation of the relation of the supply of farm products to the demand for them in the markets of the united states and of the world it is deemed possible that an agricultural census may be taken each year through the agents of the statistical division of the department such course is commended for trial by the chief of that division its scope would be one the area under each of the more important crops two the aggregate products of each of such crops three the quantity of wheat and corn in the hands of farmer at a date after the spring sowings and plantings and before the beginning of harvest and also the quantity of cotton and tobacco remaining in the hands of planters either at the same date or at some other designated time the cost of the work is estimated at five hundred thousand dollars owing to the peculiar quality of the statistician's work and the natural and acquired fitness necessary to its successful prosecution the secretary of agriculture expresses the opinion that every person employed in gathering statistics under the chief of that division should be admitted to that service only after a thorough exhaustive and successful examinations at the hand of the united states civil service commission 
this has led him to call for such an examination of candidates for the position of assistant statistician and also of candidates for chiefs of section in that division the work done by the department of agriculture is very superficially dealt with in this communication and i commend the report of the secretary and the very important interests with which it deals to the careful attention of the congress the advantages to the public service of an inheritance to the principles of civil service reform are constantly more apparent and nothing is so encouraging to those in official life who honestly desire good government as the increasing appreciation by our people of these advantages a vast majority of the voters of the land are ready to insist that the time and attention of those they select to perform for them important public duties should not be distracted by doling out minor offices and they are growing to be unanimous in regarding party organization as something that should be used in establishing party principles instead of dictating the distribution of public places as rewards of partisan activity numerous additional offices and places have lately been brought within civil service rules and regulations and some others will probably soon be included the report of the commissioners will be submitted to the congress and i invite careful attention to the recommendation it contains i am entirely convinced that we ought not to be longer without a national board of health or national health officer charged with no other duties than such as pertain to the protection of our country from the invasion of pestilence and disease this would involve the establishment by such board or officer of proper quarantine precautions or the necessary aid and counsel to local authorities on the subject prompt advice and assistance to local boards of health or health officers in the suppression of contagious disease and in cases where there are no such local boards or officers the immediate direction by the national board or officers of measures of suppression constant and authentic information concerning the health of foreign countries in all parts of our own country as related to contagious diseases and consideration of regulations to be enforced in foreign ports to prevent the introduction of contagion into our cities and the measures which should be adopted to secure their enforcement there seems to be at this time a decided inclination to discuss measures of protection against contagious diseases in international conference with a view of adopting means of mutual assistance the creation of such a national health establishment would greatly aid our standing in such conferences and improve our opportunities to avail ourselves of their benefits i earnestly recommend the inauguration of a national board of health or similar national instrumentality believing the same to be a needed precaution against contagious disease and in the interest of the safety and health of our people by virtue of a statute of the united states passed in eighteen eighty eight i appointed in july last the hon john d kernan of the state of new york and the hon nicholas e worthington of the state of illinois to form with the hon carol d wright commissioner of labor who was designated by said statute a commission for the purpose of making careful inquiry into the causes of the controversies between certain railroads and their employees which had resulted in an extensive and destructive strike accompanied by much violence and dangerous disturbance with considerable loss of life and great destruction of property 
the report of the commissioners has been submitted to me and will be transmitted to the congress with the evidence taken upon their investigation their work has been done well and their standing and intelligence gives assurance that the report and suggestions they make are worthy of careful consideration the tariff act passed at the last session of the congress needs important amendments if it is to be executed effectively and with certainty in addition to such necessary amendments as will not change rates of duty i'm still very decidedly in favor of putting coal and iron upon the free list so far as the sugar schedule is concerned i would be glad under existing aggravations to see every particle of differential duty in favor of refined sugar stricken out of our tariff law if with all the favor now accorded the sugar refining interests in our tariff laws it still languishes to the extent of closed refineries and thousands of discharged workmen it would seem to present a hopeless case for reasonable legislative aid whatever else is done or admitted i earnestly repeat here the recommendation i have made in another portion of this communication that the additional duty of one-tenth of a cent per pound laid upon sugar imported by country paying a bounty on its export be abrogated it seems to me that exceedingly important considerations point to the propriety of this amendment with the advent of a new tariff policy not only calculated to relieve the consumers of our land in the cost of their daily life but to invite a better development of american thrift and create for us closer and more profitable commercial relations with the rest of the world it follows as a logical and imperative necessity that we should at once remove the chief if not the only obstacle which has so long prevented our participation in the foreign carrying trade of the sea a tariff built upon the theory that it is well to check imports and that a whole market should bound the industry and effort of american producers was fitly supplemented by a refusal to allow american registry to vessels built abroad though owned and navigated by our people thus exhibiting a willingness to abandon all contest for the advantages of american transoceanic carriage our new tariff policy built upon the theory that it is well to encourage such importations as our people need and that our products and manufactures should find markets in every part of the habitable globe is consistently supplemented by the greatest possible liberty to our citizens and the ownership and navigation of ships in which our products and manufactures may be transported the millions now paid to foreigners for carrying american passengers and products across the sea should be turned into american hands shipbuilding which has been protected to strangulation should be revived by the prospect of profitable employment for ships when built and the american sailor should be resurrected and again take his place a sturdy and industrious citizen in time of peace and a patriotic and safe defender of american interests in the day of conflict the ancient provision of our law denying american registry to ships built abroad and owned by americans appears in the light of present conditions not only to be a failure for good at every point but to be nearer a relic of barbarism than anything that exists under the permission of a statute of the united states i earnestly recommend its prompt repeal during the last month the gold reserved in the treasury for the purpose of redeeming the notes of the government circulating as money in the hands of the people 
became so reduced and its further depletion in the near future seemed so certain that in the exercise of proper care for the public welfare became necessary to replenish this reserve and thus maintain popular faith in the ability and determination of the government to meet as agreed its pecuniary obligations it would have been well if in this emergency authority had existed to issue the bonds of the government bearing a low rate of interest and maturing within a short period but the congress having failed to confer such authority resort was necessarily had to the resumption act of eighteen seventy five and pursuant to its provisions bonds were issued drawing interest at a rate of five per cent per annum and maturing ten years after their issue that being the shortest time authorized by the act i am glad to say however that on the sale of these bonds the premium received operated to reduce the rate of interest to be paid by the government to no less than three per cent nothing could be worse or further removed from sensible finance than the relations existing between the currency the government has issued the gold held for its redemption and the means which must be resorted to for the purpose of replenishing such redemption fund when impaired even if the claims upon this fund were confined to the obligations originally intended and if the redemption of these obligations meant their cancellation the fund would be very small but these obligations when received and redeemed in gold are not cancelled and are reissued and may do duty many times by way of drawing gold from the treasury thus we have an endless chain in operation constantly depleting the treasury's gold and never near a final rest as if this was not bad enough we have by a statutory declaration that it is the policy of the government to maintain the parity between gold and silver aided the force and momentum of this exhausting process and adding largely to the currency obligations claiming this particular gold resumption our small gold reserve is thus subject to drain from every side the demands that increase our danger also increase the necessity of protecting this reserve against depletion and it is most unsatisfactory to know that the protection afforded is only a temporary palliation it is perfectly and palpably plain that the only way under present conditions by which this reserve when dangerously depleted can be replenished is through the issue and sale of the bonds of the government for gold and yet congress has not only thus far declined to authorize the issues of bonds best suited to such a purpose but there seems a disposition in some quarters to deny both the necessity and the power for the issue of bonds at all i cannot for a moment believe that any of our citizens are deliberately willing that their government should default in its pecuniary obligations or that its financial operations should be reduced to a silver basis at any rate i should not feel that my duty was done if i admitted any effort i could make to avert such a calamity as long therefore as no provision is made for the final redemption or the putting aside of the currency obligation now used to repeatedly and constantly draw from the government its gold and as long as no better authority for bond issues is allowed than at present exists such authority will be utilized whenever and as often as it becomes necessary to maintain a sufficient gold reserve and in abundant time to save the credit of our country and make good the financial declarations of our government questions relating to our banks and currency are closely connected 
with the subject just referred to and they also present some unsatisfactory features prominent among them are the lack of elasticity in our currency circulation and its frequent concentration in financial centres when it is most needed in other parts of the country the absolute divorcement of the government from the business of banking is the ideal relationship of the government to the circulation of the currency of the country this condition cannot be immediately reached but as a step in that direction and as a means of securing a more elastic currency and obviating other objections to the present arrangement of bank circulation the secretary of the treasury presents in his report a scheme modifying present banking laws and providing for the issue of circulating notes by state banks free from taxation under certain limitations the secretary explains his plan so plainly and its advantages are developed by him with such remarkable clearness that any effort on my part to present argument in its support would be superfluous i shall therefore content myself with an unqualified endorsement of the secretary's proposed changes in the law and a brief and imperfect statement of their prominent features it is proposed to repeal all laws providing for the deposit of united states bonds as security for circulation to permit national banks to issue circulating notes not exceeding in amount seventy five per cent of their paid-up and unimpaired capital provided they deposit with the government as a guarantee fund in united states legal tender notes including treasury notes of eighteen ninety a sum equal in amount to thirty per cent of the notes they desire to issue this deposit to be maintained at all times but whenever any bank retires any part of its circulation a proportional part of its guarantee fund shall be returned to it to permit the secretary of the treasury to prepare and keep on hand ready for issue in case an increase in circulation is desired blank national bank notes for each bank having circulation and to repeal the provisions of the present law imposing limitations and restrictions upon banks desiring to reduce or increase their circulation thus permitting such increase or reduction within the limit of seventy five per cent of capital to be quickly made as emergencies arise in addition to the guarantee fund required it is proposed to provide a safety fund for the immediate redemption of the circulating notes of failed banks by imposing a small annual tax say one-half of one per cent upon the average circulation of each bank until the fund amounts to five per cent of the total circulation outstanding when a bank fails its guarantee fund is to be paid into the safety fund and its notes are to be redeemed in the first instance from such safety funds thus augmented any impairment of such fund caused thereby to be made good from the immediate available cash assets of said bank and if these should be insufficient such impairment to be made good by pro rata assessment among the other banks their contributions constituting a first lien upon the assets of the failed bank in favor of the contributing banks as a further security it is contemplated that the existing provision fixing the individual liability of stockholders is to be retained and the bank's indebtedness on account of its circulating notes is to be made a first lien on all its assets for the purpose of meeting the expense of printing notes official supervision cancellation and other like charges there shall be imposed a tax of say one-half of one per cent 
per annum upon the average amount of notes in circulation it is further provided that there shall be no national bank notes issued of a less denomination than ten dollars that each national bank except in case of a failed bank shall redeem or retire its notes in the first instance at its own office or agencies to be designated by it and that no fixed reserve needs to be maintained on account of deposits another very important feature of this plan is the exemption of state banks from taxation by the united states in cases where it is shown to the satisfaction of the secretary of the treasury and comptroller of the currency by banks claiming such exemption that they have not had outstanding their circulating notes exceeding seventy five per cent of their paid-up and unimpaired capital that their stockholders are individually liable for the redemption of their circulating notes to the full extent of their ownership of stock that the liability of said banks upon their circulating notes constitutes under their state law a first lien upon their assets that such banks have kept and maintained a guarantee fund in united states legal tender notes including treasury notes of eighteen ninety equal to thirty per cent of their outstanding circulating notes and that such banks had promptly redeemed their circulating notes when presented at their principal or branch offices it is quite likely that this scheme may be usefully amended in some of its details but i am satisfied it furnishes a basis for a very great improvement in our present banking and currency system i conclude this communication fully appreciating that the responsibility for all legislation affecting the people of the united states rests upon their representatives in the congress and assuring them that whether in accordance with recommendations i have made or not i shall be glad to cooperate in perfecting any legislation that tends to the prosperity and welfare of our country End of section 6